Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the time that uh, I have this evening to record this for the people who can't be at church on Sunday. And Father, I pray that uh, you'll give them wisdom on when they should return and strength to continue worshiping as you've called them to do where they are. Uh, Father, I pray that the message will not be taken as the entirety of worship, but that they will bow their hearts to you and, and sing songs to you and draw near to you and, and really seek your face and worship uh, and long for the community of the church again. But I pray that you give me strength this evening so that there is a message that they can receive from their pastor, from your word. And it's to that end that I'm here, and so help me, Father. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Okay, well... Tonight, I'm going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, so if you have your Bible, uh, I hope that you do, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Um, the last few weeks I've recorded uh, messages, or the messages that have been recorded, I should say, are uh, messages that I preached a long time ago that I went back and re-recorded for people while I was traveling. Uh, my family and I were traveling the last couple weeks. So they weren't from 1 Timothy, which is where we've been together uh, for a while now uh, as a church body. But now uh, I'm returning to 1 Timothy chapter 3 uh, in these videos, and we'll be returning and working off the same outline I'm going to use in recording this tonight on Sunday morning. So hopefully everybody will be on the same page for as much as, as that is ever the case. Uh, so we're going to read from 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to read verses 8 through 13. But before I begin, can I uh, just say that those of you who are at home and who can't be with us, uh, I think about, about you all every week, and I miss you. And, and uh, you know, I'm here. It's been a long day uh, for me, as I'm sure it has uh, for many of you. This is Friday night that I'm recording this, and, and I'm tired, but, uh, you know, I'm really uh, wearied and burdened mostly just about missing all of you and, and uh, I just want you to know that I think about you and I think about uh, the church and, and the people here uh, all the time. It, no matter what I'm doing, it's just the, the concerns, the needs, the things to be happy about, the things to be sad about, they're, uh, they're just always a part of my mind. And they follow me when I travel, uh, my thoughts do, and, and they follow me when, when I'm at home and, and sometimes it's late at night or early in the morning. I want you to know that I miss you and that I care about you, and I hope you're doing well. Um, okay, so 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, we're going to read verses 8 through 13. Uh, I should say I'm going to read them. I hope you do too. And then we'll kind of backtrack our way through the text and end on some closing points. So verse 8 says, Likewise, deacons, and he says likewise because he's just given the qualifications for pastors. So now that he's given the qualifications for pastors... He's going to give the qualifications for deacons in the church. So he says, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
So what I want to do, uh, I thought it would be helpful for us, uh, just work very briefly through some of these qualifications. Some of them will be repetitive and I won't spend much time on them because we did cover them in the qualifications for pastors. Some of them uh, will not be so repetitive. They'll be newer to us. So verse 8 says, Deacons must be reverent. Reverent, that is, deacons must be serious. Uh, I don't think that that means that deacons, you know, can never laugh or can never joke around. But I think it has to do with the fact that when it comes to their work, when it comes to their ministry, they need to be reverent. They need to be serious-minded people. I think all of us uh, have been around people from time to time. Perhaps we have been uh, people from time to time in our lives who did not take the work that we were doing seriously. And, you know, that's okay if you're seven years old and you're helping mom or dad with the chore and, and mom and dad are really carrying the brunt of the load and they look around and, and the seven or eight-year-old is kind of goofing off and playing in the yard. It's kind of cute. You know, that, well, they were helping me for a few minutes and then they, they ran off to do their own thing. And, you know, if you're a mom and her dad, hopefully you can smile at that and kind of chuckle at that and say, well, you know, they'll learn and they'll grow. But, but that, that's really the point, isn't it? When we see children do things like that, our hope is, well, they'll learn and they'll grow, right? But if you're a grown man, grown woman, and you've been given a, a task and it's an important job, then... Uh, it's not okay to be the kind of person who treats that task, that job, with kind of a flimpet uh, lack of concern. You know, that's not okay. So deacons should be reverent. They should be serious-minded. Which really brings us back into what a deacon is. You know, that we hear the word deacon, and I think that, frankly, that there are a lot of Christians today who don't really know what a deacon is or what a deacon is supposed to be. Uh, deacons are, are people who are dedicated servants in the church. That might not mean what you think it means. Deacons, uh, the idea of deaconship comes from Acts chapter 6, the first four verses. And what you have there are the, the early uh, apostles in the early church. Uh, they are uh, struggling with teaching the Word of God to all these people who get saved on this day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes and now there are thousands of new Christians and there's just 12 of these guys that are working. Judas had been replaced at that point in time. And they're working in the ministry of the Word and they're working hard. But they're also doing a lot of really benevolent things in the early church. They're sharing their goods and they're specifically taking up a, a, a collection for the daily distribution uh, for, for widows. And there was, as there often is in churches, maybe this is an encouragement to you, even in the early church, even under the the directorship of the apostles, okay? So whatever you think of your pastors, uh, I promise you we don't have uh, that kind of authority or, or that kind of background and training where we spent years walking with the Lord Jesus. So we're not apostles, but even among the early church that was led by the apostles, Acts chapter 6, the first four verses says that they run into a dispute. In other words, a bunch of people are bickering and fighting and, and making accusations that, in these distributions to the poor, there was a certain class of, of widows or, or people that were being neglected. And the idea of deacons comes from that because the apostles' response was that we can't leave the teaching and the, the administering of God's Word. I mean, there's thousands of new Christians. There's only 12 of us. We can't leave that to go uh, manage and go, go uh, take care of this, this issue of, of the distributions among people to make sure it's done fair and, and equitably. So what they did is they, they appointed 
some, some deacons. Now, I don't think in Acts chapter 6 that this was the beginning of the official office of deacons for the church, but I think that that's clearly where the model of deacons in the church comes from. And so here when Paul is uh, laying out the qualifications for deacons, and, uh, and it'll come up again uh, in the pastoral epistles, you know, that's really the background, the Genesis. To be a deacon is to be a diakonos in the Greek, and it comes from the word to serve. So a deacon is not a leader or a teacher. Uh, we talked about some of the different words the Bible uses for a pastor, and one of those rule, uh, words was, uh, was an elder or a ruler, an overseer. Those words aren't used for deacons. Their, their job was not to be overseers or rulers or exercise authority in the church. They were called to serve. They were called to serve. This was a servant's role, a dedicated servant's role. And the church needs some people called to be dedicated servants because there are some serious responsibilities in the church sometimes. Responsibilities who even though you may not be given somebody a great deal of authority in those responsibilities, they're really important and they could be done uh, really sinisterly or frankly just neglectfully or foolishly if you didn't have a dedicated, qualified person. For instance, think about uh, the taking up and the gathering of the offering. Now, if you had someone who didn't take that job very seriously, I mean, taking up and gathering the offering, that's not, that doesn't require a great deal of authority. You know, it's not an authoritative task. It's not like you're ruling and giving instructions all over the place. It's, I mean, there may be some basic instructions. Go stand here, you take that out, but that's not really ruling. That's, but if you had someone who wasn't taking that responsibility with reverence, with seriousness, you know, you might have somebody trying to serve and doing a really poor job, and boy, you could get yourself into a lot of trouble with that, couldn't you? There could be all sorts of accusations because things had been mishandled, maybe out of some kind of sinister idea, but just as easily it could be because someone was taking the job flippantly and irreverently. So there are plenty of tasks in the church that, man, you really need a dedicated servant for uh, a deacon. And uh, for those kinds of things, Paul has some qualifications. And the first one is that a deacon's got to take his work seriously. And I can respect that and appreciate it. Second qualification, verse 8, uh, not double-tongued. You say, well, what does that mean, double-tongued, like a forked tongue? Like a... No, that's not what it means. It's the idea that, you know, if, if, you, if you've ever been in a role where you're trying to do a job and you're trying to serve a lot of different people, you might find that there are different groups that want different things. And how are you going to represent yourself? How are you going to represent the plan of the pastors? How are you going to represent what's best for the church if you can't be straightforward and honest and be consistent with the same message to each group? Uh, imagine that uh, we had a particular ministry we were going to do, and we were going to do it on Saturdays. Okay? And let's say that we had lots of people who wanted to be involved with this ministry because it was a serious thing, and they wanted to partake in it. But let's say that there was a group of people who were really upset and really bothered by the fact that it was going to be on a Saturday. I don't know, maybe they had some conflict or some other ministry was going on. I Just pretend. And let's say that a deacon's job was to serve in this ministry and he was kind of uh, leading by serving. He was the one who was always going to be on the property or be at the, at the event and really making sure things moved forward, uh, you know, strategically. So let's say a deacon was doing that and let's say that to the majority of people who had no problem with it being on Saturday, he was like, you know, it's a really good thing. It's great that we're here on Saturday. It's a great thing that we're doing this. But then when he would, when he would get aside with a group of people who didn't want to do it on Saturday, to those people, instead of saying, you know, it's a really good thing. It's a great thing that we're doing. And Saturday works out for the majority. And, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's what the pastors have prayed about and come to. 
What if when he was with this group, who had a problem with the thing being on Saturday, what if he said, you know, you're right, and, and I don't really like it being on Saturday either, but I'm just doing what I'm told, you know. And so his message over here is this is great, and this is the, uh, where we need to go, and this is good leadership. Then his message over here was, yeah, I hear you. This isn't so good. I'm not sure about this either. You make, you make a lot of great points. You know, that's talking out of two sides of your mouth. That's being double-tongued. And this group over here is going to think, okay, the deacon's on our side. We can, we can really gain some momentum and, and affect some change. This isn't working out so well because the deacon agrees it's not working out so well. And over here, you got a group who's shown up on Saturday being effective and, and, and growing in the Lord, and the ministry's doing well, and, and they don't have an idea that anything's wrong because the deacon's saying, yeah, this is great, we're doing well. You know, and that, there doesn't necessarily have to be something evil in what the deacon is attempting to do. He may just be trying to get along with everybody, right? Because it can be uncomfortable to try to be uniform in your message with different groups. That can be an uncomfortable thing. He may just be trying to get along with everybody, but that's not good. You know, a deacon has to be someone who is consistent with their message among all the different people that they talk to when it comes to the business that they're doing. They shouldn't be saying different things to cater to different groups of people. Okay, I spent too much time on that one. Next one, deacon shouldn't be given too much wine, and I'll throw in there, a deacon shouldn't be uh, greedy for money. These are two that we covered under uh, the qualifications for a pastor, so I don't think I really need to go into them again. Um, you know, a, a, a deacon shouldn't be a person who's, who's uh, you know, an alcoholic for sure, but he shouldn't even be occasionally getting drunk. You know, alcohol should have absolutely no hold on him. Absolutely no hold on him. In fact, it should have so little a hold on him that it should be no big deal at him for all, no big deal for him at all to kind of brush it off his shoulder and say, you know what, I'm a deacon. I don't need to be drinking at all. I don't need it. It doesn't have any master over me. Just forget. I'm not saying he has to do that. Okay, I'm not making a rule. I'm just saying a deacon should have that kind of freedom in his heart. Like, yeah, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm not giving too much wine. Not greedy for money. I mean, there, this is, it could be, obviously, we know plenty of warnings in the Bible that those who love money, uh, you know, fall into uh, many traps and, and uh, are pierced themselves with many arrows. And, and, you know, the love of money is a terrible thing for, for everyone, you know, because money is just meant to be a tool. It's, it's a resource that we're supposed to steward. It's not supposed to have any mastery over us so that we're greedy for it and it becomes an ambition in our life. That's not what money is supposed to be, nor is anything in the world supposed to be like that. Nothing in the world is supposed to be like that. So certainly a pastor, because this one showed up for pastors in verse 3 as well, or a deacon shouldn't be someone who's greedy for money. So two, two qualifications I think we're familiar with. Then in verse 9 it says, A deacon has to hold the mystery, holding the mystery of the faith, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Now that really strikes home for me. And you know why? I have heard tales of deacons in churches who have been going to church for any number of years, sometimes decades, and they're there every Sunday, and they do what they're called to do. You know, they, do, they answer the, the bell every time it rings. But you start talking to them about their love for the Lord and what they believe about God's Word and their earnestness of the mystery of the gospel that they cling to. And you're often really disappointed because they don't even know what the gospel is or they no longer believe in the authority of God's word. They no longer believe in God himself sometimes. They're treating their role of service in the church like it was some community program 
and gone is the spiritual significance of what the church is supposed to be. What a sad and awful thing. You know, it's, it's, it's even worse when you hear it hit the news sometimes that a pastor comes out as an atheist or something like that. What a terrible thing. It's no less awful if there are deacons in the church who don't sincerely. This says, with a pure conscience, a clean heart. They, there's no deception in them. They, they're a Christian to the core. They believe the mystery of the faith. They believe it. They believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay for the sin of the world, rose from the grave on the third day, has ascended into heaven and will one day return to earth to gather His people home. They believe in salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, or uh, by grace alone, through faith alone. They believe uh, in the Bible. They believe in the gospel. They believe in the authority of God's word. That's what a deacon has to be. So it's funny, you know, a deacon is a servant, right? A deacon doesn't have to be a teacher. They don't have to stand up and give speeches. Uh, they don't have to be a leader. They're not supposed to be out and giving all kinds of instructions everywhere. They don't have to be those things. It's not that kind of role. But it doesn't change the fact that they have to be sincere in their Christian faith. You know, they may not have to teach the Christian faith, but they have to be sincere in the Christian faith. Uh, verse 10 says, But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Now there's a lot of people who believe that uh, deacons in the New Testament church, as described by the Bible, uh, should not be in a church an official role. That these are just good ideas for everybody who's doing service in the church. And everyone, in fact, who is a Christian is called to serve in the church. But this is not really an official role. And I just don't, I don't buy that because... There are qualifications given here specifically for this. And it says, let them also first be tested. So to me, it's pretty, the Bible's pretty clear here that this is an official role in the church. Being a deacon is an official capacity. It comes with honor. It comes with qualifications. And there should be a period of testing and examination where you, you, know, you evaluate the, the person who's going to be a deacon uh, before they're just thrown into the task, right? So uh, verse 10, let them also first be tested. Now in our church, that's exactly what we do. Someone comes forward to be a deacon. We put them before the congregation. We, we, once the pastors evaluate them and, and, and we believe they're qualified, then we put them before the congregation. We say, hey, look, we're going to enter into a time of testing with the deacons as they serve, with this uh, a deacon candidate as he serves. And then we're going to get together at our next quarterly meeting and, and we're going to uh, either have a vote of affirmation that, that you see what we see in this candidate or else uh, we don't see it. The time of testing maybe didn't go so well. And, you know, uh, the congregation uh, during that time can come to, during the time of testing, they don't have to make a big stink of that in front of the whole you know, gathered body, but they can come to a pastor and say, hey, you know, this candidate is in the time of testing, and uh, just so you know, this project where he was at serving, this didn't go so well, <laughs> you know, and, and maybe that means he's not ready to be a deacon, or maybe that means he just needs a little bit more instruction, a little bit more clarification. Maybe the pastors dropped the ball and put the deacon in a position to fail. You never know. But there should be a time of testing, and then it's you know, uh, an official uh, responsibility being a deacon in the church. Verse 11, now we get into a little tricky part here. It says, Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Now, I say it's tricky because it's weird here in verse 11 to read, Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. It's weird because if you remember back to the qualifications for pastors, 
There were no qualifications for the pastor's wife. There was no qualifications for the pastor's wife. The pastor's wife wasn't up for evaluation. So it's strange here that you get to deacons and, you know, according to the reading here, likewise their wives must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Why would a deacon's wife be up for some special evaluation, but the pastor's wife wouldn't be up for any kind of special evaluation? That doesn't seem to make any sense, and, and I don't think it does. Uh, the, we've said many times before that uh, the word uh, wives in the New Testament also means women. Now, it's our church's policy here that verse 11 uh, is interpreted as wives. And so we don't have women who are deacons. But I really believe personally that verse 11 says, Likewise, women must be reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. You know, and I, I believe that for two reasons. I believe that women can be deacons in a church. Now, that's not the policy of our church. But that just goes to show you I'm no tyrant ruler here at our church. I'm just one voice and uh, among others uh, when when uh, the rules for deacons in our church was decided, one voice in five, and now just one voice in four. But, I, I mean, I'm the pastor who preaches God's Word, and i got to be honest with what I believe, and hopefully we can all get along. Uh, but, but I think this means women, because, like I said, deacons are not supposed to be rulers. They're not going around exercising authority in the church. They're not exercising authority over other Christians. They're servants. I think the reason why so many people are just naturally opposed to the idea that women could be deacons in the church is because they have kind of the American vision of uh, deacons in their mind and they think of deacons and they think of deacons as sitting on a, on a deacon board and being kind of the official ruling group of the church. Because in a lot of churches, deacons are really operating in the role of pastors and elders. Deacons are really the true rulers and overseers of what's going on in the church, not the pastors who are actually called rulers and overseers in the Bible. And so then it would make sense. Well, the, Paul says that you know, he doesn't allow a man to exercise authority over a woman and, or a woman to exercise authority over a man in church. Then it makes sense. Well, if deacons are going to be rulers and overseers, well, it can't be you know, women in the church because of what the Bible says. And so if you have that view of deacons, then sure, you, know, you, you have to interpret this wives. But, but I don't see that that biblical view of deacons in the whole Bible, I think that, you know, the Bible's pretty clear. Deacons are servants. They're not teachers. They're not leaders. They're not, they're not given uh, authority over the body of Christ. They're there to serve in dedicated capacities. We think of it like that. We certainly need women who are dedicated to serve in specific capacities. There are all kinds of ministries to women that it's not best that men are, are leading, would be leading out in service in, in all of those things. It may be necessary and sometimes, but it's not, it's not best. So personally, I kind of deviate from our church policy here, and I'm open and honest about that. I think that this is uh, likewise women who would be deacons must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Uh, but our church's policy is that this is uh, wives, and so that's how we proceed procedurally. Uh, verse 12 says, Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their house as well. Again, we, we, he's talked to women, now he goes to men. This is the way I see it. Either way, it's definitely talking to men now. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife. We talked about that, that wording in the pastoral qualifications. One woman, man is what it is in the Greek. Very specific phrase, uh, and I think I went through that. It means a man who is committed to one woman. Okay, It, mean, it means a man who is faithful to one woman, and that is his character. 
that he has demonstrated that over time. That is who he is, and that is who he is going to be. And if he's no longer that, then he's no longer qualified to be a deacon. We find the familiar language in verse 12, ruling their children and their own household well. Verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons, obtain for themselves a good Christian standing and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. You know, uh, I think that it's right for me to pause and to say that we have two wonderful deacons in our church, uh, Tony Whalen and Brandon Belcher. And I am just uh, so happy uh, to serve with them. And I'm so happy to watch them serve the Lord. They do things behind the scenes at our church that nobody sees. And they do them all the time. And they don't sound the alarm when they do them. I don't see Facebook posts and text messages and, and prideful smiles and big announcements. They just serve very selflessly. We, we only have two deacons. I wish we had a few more. But we have two that, that man, are they... They should obtain for themselves a good standing in the eyes of God's people. They're not perfect guys. I mean, they, they'll sin, but, but man, they are humble. They can take instruction, and they can take criticism, because you've got to do that if you're going to serve in the church. You've got to be willing to take criticism. And you know what? There are, are widows and people who are in need in our church, and you know they can always call on the deacons, and they do. And those deacons make a habit of stopping by and helping and doing a project here or there. And, and they, don't, it, they don't get any fanfare for it. Uh, and they shouldn't. That's not what being a deacon is about. But it's good to honor them and to, to make it clear that as deacons, they should obtain for themselves good standing. And, and, and I hope they possess this great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus mentioned in verse 13. So to kind of summarize this, I, I want to uh, have a couple thoughts here uh, as we I draw it to a close. So are deacons called to be great speakers? No. Are they called to be amazing teachers? No. In fact, pastors, one of the qualifications was they have to be able to teach. That's verse 2 of chapter 3. Have to be able to teach if you're going to be a pastor. There's no teaching qualification for deacons. Instead, they have to hold the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. They have to be genuine believers. They don't have to be teachers. So great speakers, great teachers, no. Do they have to be tremendous leaders? No. This is not about leadership. This is not about, this is not about authority. This is not about oversight and rule. But you know what they have to be? They have to be great servants. They have to be great servants. I want to read to you now from Jesus in Matthew chapter 20. I want you to listen closely. I'm going to begin reading in verse 24. You might recognize the text. This is after uh, uh, James and John's mother came to Jesus and asked, uh, Lord, please grant that my two sons will sit on your right hand and on your left hand once you get into your kingdom. It's a bold request, but you know, moms are moms, so we'll uh, uh, leave it at that. Jesus said, you don't know what you ask, and he goes on. Then you get down to verse 23, and you find out that some of the disciples, verse 24, some of them are upset about this request that James and John's mom, I can just hear it now, you know, you had mommy come and ask for some special treatment of Jesus. Well, verse 24, Matthew 20 says this, And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. In the church, among God's people, 
There should not be the kind of authoritarian leadership where rule and oversight are lorded over other Christians. That happens in the world. You deal with tyrants and power-hungry people and pridefully obsessed people. You find that stuff. And Jesus is very clear to His disciples. It shall not be so among you. And it shouldn't be so here either. I don't think it is. Then He goes on. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And deacons are supposed to be great servants. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. And then here's our example. Are you ready for this? Listen to this. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Our call to serve the Lord. First of all, it's a call to everybody, not just deacons. Let's just use the qualifications for deacons and the text that I'm in tonight. Let's just use that as a reminder of what we're all called to do. We're called to be servants. Servants of Jesus by serving in the body of Christ. That's what we're called to be. And our example is Jesus who, as the Son of God, the Messiah, could have come expecting others to, to fawn over Him and to serve Him. And, to, and certainly others even would have thought that was appropriate, but He didn't come for that purpose. He didn't come to be served, but to serve others. And that's what He's calling all of us to. You know, John 13, this is the, the Jesus who takes up the, the towel and strips down to His undergarments and tucks a towel into His into his waist and gets down on his knees and washes the feet of all of his disciples one by one. And what is his justification for that? He tells them, a servant shall not be greater than his master. If I'm going to get down on my hands and knees, if I'm going to go around and I'm going to serve you in this, this humbling, this wildly inappropriate way, if I'm going to serve you, you're not greater than me. You have to serve others. You have to serve others. Or would you exalt yourself above the Lord Jesus? If it's not for the servants, the service of Jesus, we don't have salvation. That's what verse 28 is trying to do. It's trying to connect this idea of being a servant to the gospel. Just as the Son of Man, Matthew 20, 28, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus gave His life to pay the debt of our sin, to save us, to ransom us away from the, the hell that we were enslaved to, the sinful life that we were enslaved to, the judgment that we were enslaved to. He gave His life as a servant to ransom us. That's the gospel. And it's all connected to this idea of being a servant. And then when He gets on the knees and He, and he, and he washes the feet of His disciples, He says, you have to serve too or else are you greater than your master? You know, you get to Luke 17 and you have the parable that Jesus tells in verses 6 through 10 where there's this guy that, and, and he's a master and he's got a servant and he's going to go in for dinner and he calls his servant and he expects his servant to serve him. And when his servant has done all that he's done, the servant doesn't get a big badge and a big blue ribbon and a big recognition day. The servant uh, recognizes, I was only doing what I was supposed to do. I am an unworthy servant. I was only doing what was my duty. I was only doing what was fitting. That's how Christians are supposed to serve. Not with an eye to getting some plaque in the back hallway. 
Now, there was a really wealthy guy many, many years ago at this church. Um, many, many, many years ago. Really wealthy guy in the community. Everyone would recognize the name. And, you know, he, he had a great deal of money, and he wanted to give a great deal of money to the church on one condition that he was going to get a plaque in the foyer with his name on it. Now, that's not the attitude of Luke 17, where after doing all that he's done to serve his master, without any recognition, the unworthy servant says, I am an unworthy servant, and I was only doing what was appropriate. I was only doing what was fitting. Now, Christian, is your Christian life unfulfilling sometimes? And do you find all of this kind of dull and boring? Perhaps there are spiritual lulls in your life. Do you realize that you cannot have a fulfilling Christian life without being a servant? You can't. And that's really hard for us in the world that we live in. That's really hard for us. You know why? Because everywhere we go as Americans, we expect to be served, don't we? We go to a restaurant, we expect to be served. We go to the grocery store, we have a question, trouble finding something, ready at the checkout, need a shopping cart, we expect to be served. Yeah, we go on vacation, we stay in a hotel, we expect to be served. Yeah, we go to work, we have people who work for us, we expect them to be served. We go to a gas station, or, and on and on and on and on. We expect to be served all the time. And I think sometimes people come to church and they sit in a pew, they sit in a chair, and they sit there and they listen to the message and they expect to be served. And they leave and they evaluate the church. Was I served today? I hope you are served when you come to church. And I hope you're served outside of the doors of the church by the other people in the church. But Christian, you will never fulfill your calling in Jesus Christ. I'm not sure you can be a Christian unless you embrace what it means to be a disciple, and that is to serve others, to take your hands and to get down in the dirt because you love God and you love His people and you see them as your family, as brothers and sisters, and you want to serve them. Some of the most touching times in my life has been when I have seen quietly Christian men and women do very simple tasks to serve each other without complaint and without fanfare. And on the other side of that, despicably, some of the most difficult times in my life have been when I just can't understand why Christians aren't willing to serve each other, aren't willing to love each other. There is no gospel if Jesus Christ doesn't come as a servant because there is no crucifixion, there is no virgin birth, there is no sinless life. We don't get past the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus came to serve. And if you're a servant of Jesus Christ, a disciple of Jesus, you can't be greater than your master. You need to serve too. And, and that's what being a deacon is all about. It's just the service that a Christian is called to, but in a dedicated capacity. Uh, I hope you'll think about these things, because I sure want your Christian life to be fulfilling. And it can't be that without serving others. Now, let me close now with a word of prayer. Father, I love you and I love your word. I love just the refreshing nature of it. I love that it centers my soul again, that it brings me back from being astray. And I hope that maybe your word will do that when people hear this message. There's not many people that are going to watch this video.
maybe, uh, you know, four, five, six. I don't get very many views, and I don't deserve very many views. Father, I'm trying to serve your people now tonight, Friday night. My feet are tired. My legs are tired. My voice is tired. My mind is tired. But you know what? I want your people to hear this message, and I want from wherever they are them to do the evaluation and to ask themselves whether or not there's anything they can do in their life that's more important than building heavenly reward and glory and honor for their Father by serving. And that means they might have to serve when they're tired. They might have to risk themselves. So be it. Father, you set such a wonderful example in your Son. Thank you for his service to us. Thank you for the Savior who died on the cross for our sins, who rose from the grave to give us life. Father, bless those who hear your word. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.